Welcome to the Geomologist Presents. I don't know how long the show will be. It probably will not be long, but I wanted to discuss something that I'm calling a game in your back pocket. You know how it is when we have a game session coming up, we prep for it, and then suddenly it does not make. So I had that instance a couple times this week, this past week, or last week, actually, since I'm generally record a week in the rears. Um, and last week, there are two games that did not make, so I had to come up with a backup game. So I'm going to talk briefly about those and the value of having a game in your pocket. But first, we got a call-in from Jason Connerly, who has a great anecdote about a murder mystery and how to run one in your RPG I believe the game that he's going to talk about was run by GM Shadow uh, of the GM Shadow podcast, Barry, uh, and he's changed it to another podcast name. Found it. It is called A Song of Dice and Shadows. So take a gander at his podcast. So without further ado, we'll bring on Jason. Carry on my wayward son, there'll be peace when you are done. Lay your weary head to rest, don't you cry no more. Hey Carl, Jason here. Enjoyed your interview with Kevin Madison. I think the biggest thing that he said there that people should take away is that magic and technology and all these things are just different ways to find clues. And if you've designed the clues correctly, it really doesn't matter how they find them. And I think that is a really important concept. You, when we did a 10th level, which is the highest level in MURP, and, unless you add in the Rollmaster stuff, but when we, when we did a 10th level murder mystery using Middle-earth role-playing, that was run by Barry over at former Shadow of the GM, now a Song of Dice and Shadows podcast. It, I was playing a 10th level, you know, magic user in that, or wizard, whatever, in the, in that game. And I was able to cast all these crazy spells, but because he had designed the clues correctly, it didn't break anything having that magic. And we still had to track the clues down and all that. Now, he... That was a more of an open-world kind of thing. It was set in Gondor, but we could go talk to anybody, and he didn't have to resort to telling us, no, concentrate on these suspects. You know, we, we were able to talk to anybody we wanted to without GM interference. But it, it worked very well. So I think that advice from Kevin about, you know, just looking at the not trying to shut magic down, but just accepting it's a different way to uncover clues, is a because the characters still have to interpret those clues, was a real great nugget, and hopefully that'll help people when they design their own mysteries in whatever genre they decide to run. Hey, Jason, thank you for that call. Yeah, it was. that's a great piece of advice. Remember, the clue is just a clue, no matter how you get it, and let them get clues from their you know use of their magic. I think that's an excellent idea. It's a great idea. I think another neat anecdote, and I should have mentioned this when 
uh, Kevin and I were recording, but in Reaver, right, my character has this ability to speak with spirits, to speak with the dead. And I think Joe Salvador has done a great job of giving us those clues so we can figure out the mystery. And I love his cryptic, well, we don't always ask the smartest questions, of course, but I do love his cryptic answers and we get the clue, but now how do we interpret it? And sure, let let the players use their magic. Um, if they, I guess the, the hardest one to me would be reading someone's mind because you would think that, you know, how are they going to, but again, it's just a clue, right? It could just give you a face. It could give you a name. But then what do you do with that? I mean, what if it gives you a name? Brian. There's a lot of Brians, right? So, uh, you know, give you a face. But now you got to find this person. I think that's okay. Uh, so I, I really, you know, I guess as a GM, my advice, Jason's advice, GM Shadow's advice, Kevin's advice is to let the players give them the agency, let them um, do their magic stuff, give them a clue, be honest about the clue, and let them figure out the mystery. I think that's a, a great idea. All right. Again, thank you for that call, Jason. Hey, if you guys want to get involved in the interaction, please drop me a line, geomologist at gmail.com or on the various discords. I'm whatever it's called. Is it hashtag? Is it a hashtag? Yeah, hashtag Carl Rodriguez. So you can find me on various discords, the Audio Dungeon Discord, the Geomologist Presents Workshop and Lab, something called like that. Um, I'm on the Dungeon Muser Discord as well. Um, you can track me down, drop me a line, and I have a SpeakPipe account, and you can leave me about a 90-second message through there as well. So, right. So the main topic at hand, as I ramble on here, so Wednesday we, is Pathfinder Wednesday, and we normally have either Abomination Vault, but that's been on a big hiatus. It seems something always comes up on a Wednesday, um, and we alternate that with Kingmaker. We were actually able to play a session of Kingmaker, and we're into, I guess, the quote-unquote second book of Kingmaker, although now it's one big book in Pathfinder 2, but they've defeated the Stag Lord and now are starting the little kingdom that they're calling the Riverlands, um, and they set up the government. They have NPCs and other player characters doing various tasks. We did a domain turn, and the game suggests that you do like a domain turn every month, so three weeks of adventuring, and then a domain turn, but we did a couple domain turns back to back just to get a feel for it, get them started um, on their on their kingdom building. They have a settlement called Shrikeport that is there at on, the, on this lake called the Tuskwater at the confluence of the Tuskwater and the Shrike River overlooking the, the overlooking the lake on a bluff. So uh, they're able to incorporate the Stagwood's Fort and make it their town hall, and they've built some houses. And then we were able to, we did that domain. It was kind of slow, I would say. And I, I feel like I've suggested we do that on the Discord. But, um, well, um, we'll see. We'll see how that goes. I do think the players would rather discuss what they want to do and then do the roles like live. So that's probably what's going to happen. But then I suggested again, three weeks out in the, in the field, in the wilderness, and then one week of domain. And I think they've been doing that. We had a good session 
they have several encounters. I'm not going to go into those details because, well, spoilers and stuff. But it was good to get the dice rolling, to have some diplomatic and combat encounters. And I thought they acquitted themselves pretty well, which was kind of neat. But the week before, well, it was supposed to be Abomination Vaults. And again, I, like I say, that has suffered. So we decided that two players, and we were like, well, what do you want to do? We have a couple backup games, Hyperborea, which I, I would like to push the Hyperborea game, but I don't know. I feel like the players are reluctant. I know one player seems to get dropped every session. Maybe that's part of it. Uh, maybe the adventure is dragged on. Maybe because this, the original mission was done by characters who are now dead, and these are like replacement characters. But uh, I feel like I'd like to finish that adventure and move on to other Hyperborean goodness. But the other game I had in my back pocket was Before the Lost City, which I think is really fun and fantastic. And that was, I think, easier to jump into. I run it on Fantasy Grounds. They have a really good module set. And then you can find uh, fan-made um, modules. They call them modules for the OSE rule set. And we're using OSE Basic. I do have some house rules, and they did come up. So I have, like, uh, when someone goes to zero... I, you know, we do a turn over the body at the end of the combat, and then they roll a save and throw versus death for like a last chance ditch effort to be alive. And then they'll have a permanent disability, possibly or not. Uh, they'll have a scar of some sort when you turn the body over. I do have uh, meta, meta currency, uh, the number of player characters we have. They have six re rolls, the six characters, they have six re rolls during the game. And uh, yeah, I mean, it. It just, I, the reason I do this is I prefer story, and it's always fun to have a second chance. Sometimes second chance doesn't work. I'm just saying these low level characters, and actually the characters we played enough that the cleric is level two, and the other characters are still level one, very close to level two. When they get to level two, it seems like the survivability increases exponentially, right? Um, and I do the other house rule I have is shields must uh, must be sundered. And we didn't recall that house rule, but we have a, like a little house rule notes uh, handout on the game. And one of the players pointed that out. I'm actually playing with BJ Boyd of the Arcade Alias. It's one of the players. He's like, oh, we have shields must be sundered. And then we sort of, so we hadn't played a long time. I let him do that because his character, one of his characters actually dropped, turned over the body, died. But then when they dragged him back, uh, he's like, oh, we have shields must be sundered. I go, do you have a shield? He's like, yeah, I had a shield. And you could see because he was like, Take, he was like porting over his inventory to the party. Like, yeah, he has got a shield. So I guess the shield is sundered. And then he like wake up, like with the start, you're not unconscious. All these splinters of fragments of shield are in your arm and body. Uh, so yeah, so he's alive. And there we go. But it was really fun to do Lost City. Uh, I think we're on, we've done, they've cleared like the first couple levels. And we're on level three. And that's like the quote unquote faction level. I'm spoiling it a little bit because this adventure's been around right since the 80s, so, you know. And um, it's a fun adventure. The, I'm using, actually, what I love, and I'm using the uh, original Adventures Revisited, uh, what's from the series, the Ore series by Goodman Games, and I'm using the B4 out of there, but it has the original, both printings, and then it has a fifth edition version that expands greatly on the city de beneath and the the uh, 
tiers six through ten of the pyramid. Uh, so, which is kind of neat. So you imagine basically like a, a, a regular pyramid or ziggurat, and then an inverted pyramid or ziggurat, you know, stuck, you know, butt to butt. Um, that's kind of the the dungeon there. And there was an outline in the original before of both of those places. The bottom six to ten levels were a little bit fleshed out. The main monster on that level, but it's kind of an outline. And then the Lost City was just, you know, a blurb. Here's a Lost City. Here's a map. Go for it. Which is kind of neat. But I'm glad the 5th edition version has fleshed it out. And if we get to there, I will be using OSE Basic to run that part of the adventure. So, uh, yeah, we'll see how it goes. I, I had a fun time. So we ran through, like, a, a couple rooms, really, because uh, we had kind of hemmed and hawed and, and kind of talked about, you know, how gaming groups go. We just talk about nothing. We hemmed and hawed what we wanted to play, and we finally settled on that. So we played for a little bit. And, again, even though you would think we've been playing this game forever, it's easy to get back into. Sometimes it's hard to coordinate all that stuff, and it was probably – a question of like, well, we haven't been to Fantasy Grounds for a while. We have to update it. That took a, a few minutes. And then we got to figure out where everything is on Fantasy Grounds again. And then uh, play. Once we get to playing, though, it's pretty smooth. So that was the first game in my back pocket before The Lost City. And this reminds me, I know I, BJ and I did this uh, podcast a few episodes back. Uh, M-O-S-R, more O-S-R in March. And I want to run some O-S-R games, guys. I really do. I had a great idea. I was looking through known world stuff, and I think on the Vaults of Pandarius site, they're like, oh, these are where all the, the B modules are located. And, you know, it'd be really fun to, to run like a known worlds campaign using the B modules or starting with the B modules and working my way from there. Um, this is inspired really by TJ Drennan. I blame him for all things OSR. No, that's not true. No, but TJ for the D&D birthday ran some B2, and now I feel like I have a context of where to put it and how to put it in the known world and do all the politics and stuff like that, and I'd love to do that. The other MOSR things I have in mind are a dual game, solo game, with Amy and I running AD&D 1.5, and we have our character, and we have, have the idea of where I want to run it in the Moonshades and the Forgotten Realms, and I even have the adventure I want to do. It's just a, a matter of get sitting down and doing it. So we probably will do that here in March. Uh, we, As a side note, we do have a lot of content coming up on YouTube, especially our Twilight 2000 campaign that's ongoing. And the most recent one shows a big battle against an armed, armed and armored convoy. Uh, the, the the players do, the Free Krakow Company Coalition, we, we kind of calculated. They're like 62-plus strong, um, and they have uh, one tank and several armored fighting vehicles, and they have a dragon. Well, they have a hind D. So uh, that that definitely unbalances the playing field until they run out of ammo and stuff like that, or someone uh, finds a law or a stinger somewhere, but there probably aren't that very many of them around, or gets lucky with an RPG. Um, so, But so far, so good with them. I think it's been pretty cool. That's on the YouTube channel. You can check it out. I put the link in the show notes. But I'd like to get, I said, like to mow OSR, more OSR. And in March, why not? We have an extra day to prep here in February, so, so why not plan for that? The other thing I'd love to do is either using OSE Advanced, Shadow Dark, or AD&D again 
would be to run through the uh, A series. I have a compilation, uh, A0, which is an intro to the Slaver series, um, and then A1 through 4, which takes place in Greyhawk. I think that would be pretty fun. And actually, now that that, now that, that brings that up and segues into the second back pocket. So we normally play Warhammer Fantasy with the home group. So that was Wednesday, last Wednesday, and then uh, this, and then the next Thursday, and the group did make a couple of people couldn't do it. So our, even though, like when I got there, they're like, "Oh, we could, we could still play Warhammer Fantasy, right?" And I said, "Yeah, but you guys didn't mention that we can. We could play with three people. It doesn't matter. We played this game for so long, and then we just, you know." pull the people into the shadows or in the background they're off doing something else oh well and then i think it really is a an unwritten rule that they don't get the xp for being there and uh that's kind of what we do but um since two people were out and we had three that's kind of our rule three we do another game we've been doing Octune cthulhu but that wasn't the crew that was there this time and this time one someone suggested a game called cyborg which is Mulkborg Cyberpunk. And I've been wanting to run a Cyberpunk game with this group. We've thrown around ideas, uh, Carbon 2185, which is a fifth edition hack of a cyberpunky tech world, uh, Shadowrun, which we played uh, during the COVID times, but because a lot of the players there just were not comfortable, did not really jive with the, the Roll20 or the VTT type of platform. Um, so it, it didn't work so well. So we might get back to Shadowrun, though I would propose maybe using Wetwired as well for a concept that I have. But um, but then uh, and then also Cyberpunk Red or 2020 uh, has been proposed, especially because one of the players really loves the live pass systems uh, when you make characters. He loves to make characters. So um, yeah, I guess we have uh, one of those in every gaming group, don't we? I think in another podcast, just as another non sequitur. Uh, I might interview my players somewhat, not really interviewing, but, you know, ask the question, what type of player do you think you are, right? Because there's always seems to be a player, you know, the one who loves to make characters. There's always a power gamer. There's always sort of the social gamer. There's the the, the game game group clown, right? The guy who's always cheeky and, and making jokes and the throwing puns left and right. And then there's the guy who collects all the animals, Right. So it'd be really, I was just thinking about my table, uh, my home group's table. And yeah, we have, we have those, <laughs> we, we have those. So, uh, so yeah, it's a it's pretty interesting um, how that dynamic works and how it works well. Cause we've been playing here on almost three years together uh, and, and actually more than that uh, with some of these, these folks. So, so pretty cool stuff. Anyway, we played cyborg and it was fun because we were able to just, you know, I printed out character sheets uh, they're very, it's very bright and pink everywhere, pink and yellow everywhere, by the way, in these books, both Merkborg and Cyborg. And uh, I didn't really worry about the background. Hey, let's just play some fun cyberpunky type of game. And they made characters. We rolled them up all randomly at the table. We had three players. And then I ran through the adventure, uh, something about a casino that you've got to find and rescue a guy or get the data from and and it worked pretty well. It was a pretty easy system, right? It's a D20 roll to hit a target number. Uh, the characters were not very competent at first level, and they were rolling very poorly. But uh, they actually managed to uh, get out of there with some injuries, a lot of shooting, as you would expect. 
it was kind of the funnest role I think was when um, well the couple a couple fun things happened because there's not just you know uh, the AI and the virtual reality world like the the web or whatever the the uh, internet or webnet or whatever it's called but there's also some sort of alien presence in the world and they manifest sort of magic but it's more like nanites anyway <clears throat> I think it's also controlled probably by an AI. But anyway, so one of the player characters got some black goo on him and and he he failed. But then there's like a mishap table and the mishap table made him teleport. So he teleported up to this like private poker game. <clears throat> and then he was like, oh, my gosh. And he hid. He was able to hide. He rode really well to hide. And he was just watching the poker game. And then eventually one of the other players was able to get up there and he met the people who were playing the poker game. And then we rolled, which I love. You know, my favorite table probably in all OSR type games and, you know, all classic games is the reaction table. 2D6, you know, you know low is bad, you know high is really good. And, you know, in the middle, you roll again and you see what happens, right? It's, it's kind of neutral. So um, so we rolled and the do and the player rolled box cards, so 12. So I kind of made up the, the fiction that he knew the leader of the gang and then I determined that the gang was there for their own mission, and it kind of meshed with the player character's mission. And then we had a really good, uh, fun fight at the end. But I like that cyberpunk thing, you know, with hacking and and guns and and you know, sort of the and of course in cyborg, you know, it's like Merkborg, so it's kind of mudcore, so like rusty, dirty cyberpunk type of game. Uh, very realistic and feel like whatever you do doesn't matter type of thing, but hey, it mattered. They got, they they found out that the data was actually a person that was hooked up to the computer, rescued that person. That's who the gang was trying to rescue anyway. As part of their job, they they got out there. They got money. They got the vault. Uh, they the, <laughs> one the other fun thing that happened too is uh, one of the person kind of grab found some some drugs. And took the drugs and actually it helped him because he had like one hit point anyway. So it like doubled his hit points, but then went on sort of a murder spree and had to keep rolling every round to see if he got control back. And then he had his quirk that he collected belts. So he was killing people and taking their belts. And then at, by the end, he had this like cat of nine tails made out of belts that was just whipping around. But eventually he came, he kind of snapped out of it and got away. So I thought that was pretty fun. There's also a fun interlude. I love the quirks too that they develop. There's so many fun random tables, and the players bought into the totally roll randomly for their characters. So uh, I, I think it was a very enjoyable session. I have a fun group of guys. So so there you go. And I think a game like Cyborg, Pirate Borg is like this too, because I played it at the table. We just make up characters and go randomly. And I could have not. I didn't have to have run the sort of lucky casino adventure in there in the book. But I could have just randomly rolled an adventure, which is a possibility. All right, this week is going to be, upcoming week is going to be really fun as I kind of come to a close and encourage you to always have a game in your back pocket. I'm really going to try to make a diligent effort to have a backup game. So I know prep for two games, that's kind of the poll question I'm asking. And if you have a backup game or a favorite backup game, I know games that I feel like I can run spontaneously without too much prep are like Call of Cthulhu, Savage Worlds, any of these Borg games, it seems I could do that just off the cuff. Uh, I usually, well, for sure, Octune Cthulhu, probably I would need a little more prep time. 
on some of the other 2D20 games, but Cohorts Cthulhu could also be that way. So, um, so yeah, so think about those games. Think about your favorite easy system to come up with. Oh, I think I can also run, like, BX spontaneously because it doesn't take long to make a character, really. And that was the other thing that I proposed. I proposed some sword and wizardry, um, right, so um, to, to try to run because I could we could make characters very quickly and then run an adventure. But the, the player characters chose Cyborg. So there you go. So uh, so maybe for the next back pocket game, I will bring the swords and wizardry uh, tome and not tome, but box with me and say, hey, we're going to play this because it's March and we need more OSR. So uh, in any case, up on the YouTube channel coming up. So we the latest Twilight 2000 is up, is up the attack on the big convoy that I mentioned. Um, we have a sort of side quest that's coming up, uh, premiering tomorrow, tonight, tomorrow, uh, the Tunnel Mission, which was a mission that was conceived way back during the Pirates of the Vistula. The player, the Free Caracal Coalition, had run across the Marines, had turned them, rescued them from the Admiral, and they said, well, we got prisoners. The Baron's holding prisoners against us. Um, if you can help rescue the prisoners, I know we can recruit more of the Baron's men to our side. And they finally did the tunnel mission. And I kudos to Amy because she actually did the research. And there are extensive tunnels dating back to World War II in Warsaw. And the uh, they were expanded uh, during World War II, first by the, you know, during the Warsaw Revolution, Warsaw Uprising during that time, uh, used by the people, the people in Warsaw then, and then... Uh, and then later by the Soviets uh, and Polish during the Cold War, and the KGB used them extensively, and there's, like, maps and people explore them on YouTube. So kudos to Amy for doing that research. And actually, I guess the way I did it, um, and you'll see, and I explain it on the YouTube channel, but I'll explain it here for you guys who don't like actual play. So I everything I rolled was, like, random, right? So I was thinking, well, I mean, these tunnels probably have been not seen use, but they're pretty well reinforced and they are met they have been created to withstand like nuclear blasts, like ground nuclear blasts. And in the Twilight Two Thousand world, Warsaw was bombed, but but mostly like air bursts and then a lot of fires and stuff like that. So then so then I had an idea of what could be down there and I looked at the random encounter chart and it really worked for my idea of if tunnels could be collapsed, etc. What you find down there, would you find like underground people? swarms of rats, you know, and then in the book, The Ruins of Warsaw, there is no mention of the Baron knowing about these tunnels, though these tunnels were known about during the 80s when this book was made. So my idea was, well, if I roll a patrol, which su suggests that it's one of the Baron's men, the Baron's men, then the Baron learned about the tunnels or found, discovered them, but that never happened. And you'll see in the, the tunnel mission uh, which premieres, like I said, tonight or today, because this comes out at the same time. And then we also were able to run uh, Coyote and Crow. And there's an awesome cast of people that's run by B.J. Boyd of the Arcane Alienist. And that's coming up next week, Monday. And then the second part of the attack on the convoy and the planning for the final assault on the Black Baron in Warsaw will premiere next week. So that's what's going on in the YouTubes. Um, check out our YouTube channel again. I, again, you know, I, uh, actual play is not for everyone. You can fast forward. 
and at least maybe look through at least like and subscribe that would be great you don't have uh, you don't have well yeah like and subscribe and check it out if you want um we're not voice actors or professionals amy does her kasha voice but that's the extent of it i think although i think in i think in the uh savage worlds deadlands game i do do western voices because it's easy and it's fun so anyway i think that is all 25 minutes of just ramble on huh so without further comment, I will just say that thank you again to Jason Connerly for the call-in. Thank you again, my listeners. Thank you, TJ Drennan, for the intro and outro music. And thank you, Amy, for always being willing to test various games and for the cover clip art. And without any more of me, good night and good roll.